that that whole year when we lived in Village C oh, that was, was, a, was amazing. I mean, yeah. just the, yeah, the we, laughs, oh, oh my the God. parties, the events. I mean, I think like Ron said, I think that's where the bond of friendship got stronger. We've had a lot of heavy and informative topics on this show about black men. So in today's episode, I wanted to lighten it up a little bit and bring on some of my friends. Returning were two of my close friends from earlier shows, Kurt Blackman and Ron Martin. And we have two newcomers, Cliff Wilson and my best friend and brother-in-law, Brett Hyman. We talk about something that is rarely discussed, but very important in these times, black male friendship. Over the next 50 minutes or so, we discuss how our friendship formed, what has kept it together for over 30 years, and how we are preparing our kids as they enter that stage of life. And oh yeah, a lot of laughs too. With that said, let's start the show. So we haven't all kind of been in the same space since that Village C moment, unless it was, a, it might've been no Sohoya event, but <laughs> you know, yeah, <laughs> uh, right in that corner. But Ron and Cliff, you guys are a year, you guys are, were a year ahead of us. I wanted to figure out how did you guys become friends and what kind of, what was your first, what was your first year like? Cliff tends to have a better memory than me on some of these things, right? So, here's what I will say. I don't remember exactly how we met. I know how we became friends during our freshman year. And a lot of it had to do with, with playing ball. It, it's, the, it's the culture of, of going to Yates as men and, and playing sports together. Um, and in fact, we had a team. There were five of us in our year, um, you know, Cliff, myself, Wayne, Bruce, Kenny, um, and we uh, challenged the seniors, the, these guys who were seniors, who were swear up and down they were going to beat us, uh, and we played them in a three-game tournament that we had put together, and uh, I'd like to say for posterity here and, and recorded uh, audience that we smoked them, so I mean, you know, so, so anyway, I'll let Cliff uh, add to the comments. Uh, let's just say Ron was active on the offensive end. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm not sure that's a compliment, but all right. <laughs> no, you know, a couple of things, Ron, what Ron said. First of all, it's funny because like with, with now I will say Keith with um, maybe with you all and your, like your, your kind of crew, your class, you know, uh, we were all friends, but we kind of all kind of uh, came out of our certain like crews, whether it be, you know, class or whatever. But I don't remember like when the exact day, exact time that I met Ron. I can say the same for you know for our for our, our other friends, you know Bruce and Wayne and Kenny. But I do know it was it was at Yates, and it's funny because when we when you uh, recently had the um, uh, the the, the Sohoya thing, and um, we had, uh, I can't remember what the topic was, but I had mentioned in there that um, uh, Yates, what a big deal Yates was yeah. for us, and I know all all you all got it. I think um, all of the, the 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 ladies on that call, I think they were kind of like Yates. Give me a break, but um, I mean, as you all know, we took Yates as serious from four to six as we did, you know, Euro Civ from two to three, mm -hmm. and it really was where a lot of our relationships uh, initiated and where they even like, you know, we even cultivated them in a, in a certain way. So yeah, that's where um, you know I think where me and Ron, you know, really started to to bond as, as friends. And then it really just took off sophomore year. I think that's when really things really 
you know, went to, you know, that next level as boys just because of our living situation. We lived, we didn't live together, but we lived in the same dorm across the hall. We probably spent more time hanging with each other than we did the um, the guys that we actually roomed with. Right. Right. Yep. Okay. And so within the, I guess within the university walls, outside of the kind of the Yates bubble, which so to, so to speak, was there a culture shock for you within the university setting? So is that question for everybody? Because I think it's different for everybody. Um, it'd be my perspective. Because for me, it was very similar to the high school environment that I went through. It was predominantly white. Um, there was a, um, and in fact, two people, two white um, people I'd gone to school with actually went to Georgetown. They were there with me freshman year. So I was also friends with them at that time. So for me, it wasn't much of a transition. And, yeah, um, my, I'm kind of like Ron. My school, my high school was pretty fairly mixed, like 50% minority, Black, Spanish, Asian, and then 50% white. So walking into Georgetown, you know, I knew what to, I didn't know what to expect, but it wasn't shocking to me. It was shocking as hell to me. <laughs> okay. When I came, when I, when I, when I made it up to Georgetown, I had come from a high school that was basically the inverse of Georgia, 98% black, 1% Asian and 1% white. And when I came up in here, I was like, oh my goodness, this is new. But you know, uh, I, was, I was, I think with the travel that I did running track and, and all that stuff with, uh, with high school, you know, you, we, we met a lot of people and I was open to it and it was, it, it was a it was definitely one of those experiences where you you know I had to I had to acclimate myself. You know, I, I really wasn't one of these people that was like, oh, I better watch what I'm saying. But I will tell you this: when I introduced myself to everybody, and I said, my name is Brett Hyman, I'm from Durham, North Carolina. I became Durham, you know. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, here we go. Or when I would say hello to people in the morning, this was another little culture shock. They'd look at me like I was crazy. You know, you were you were in Harvard with me freshman year, so any oh. black face was a friendly face, and so we were we were on the same floor, so right. that that was comforting, you know, along with 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 everybody else up uh, up and down Harvard. So my yeah, my experience was school. My high school was most predominantly white, and so there weren't too many uh, black uh, students that went to our, our school. So when I went to community scholars, I thought I hit the lottery. I was like, this is a wonderful. Uh, experience. Of course, okay. we had our yeah. battles, you know, at Yates. I think y'all tried to challenge, you challenged us out of the gate early on, from what I can remember. But one of the other things that was a, definitely was a culture shock for me was the, uh, if you want to call cracking or whatever you want to call it, doing the dozens where we would just talk about each other. <laughs> that seemed to be the preferred communication. <laughs> <You know? laughs> that? And why do you think that was kind of the way we we spoke to each other well let me let me just say because i want i'm gonna i'm gonna answer your first question and then roll into that to that to that point so it wasn't really a a, a culture shock for me i mean uh you know my school was uh was mixed it was probably majority black it was in a black neighborhood it was in the neighborhood that i um, lived in but you know my uh you know my elementary school had a you know some diversity my my, my junior high um, was very diverse. It was probably a third black, a third white, and a third, um, you know, his, Hispanic. But the thing that 
that actually did surprise me the, the most was, uh, you know, going to Georgetown, you know, I, I knew it was a predominantly uh, white school. I knew that there would be some, some, you know, some African-Americans there. But the thing that I did not expect, and, you know, silly me, I was stereotyping. I just figured the, the black guys were going to be like, you know, all the, I thought all y'all were going to be like Carlton from Fresh Prince. I knew you were going to uh, say that. I knew he was going to say that. Too. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. What I what I didn't expect was that I would meet a bunch of you know African American Americans like myself, who in a lot of ways were just like my boys back home. You know, cracking as you call it, playing dozen, whatever you want to call it, cracking on each other. That was very like right at home for me. That's just kind of a rite of passage. That's just how uh, you know, kind of kind of how we how we roll. It could seem harsh if, from the outside looking in, but you know. It was really more, it was more love there. I know this sounds silly. Really more love involved in that. Like yeah. you, what you really want to be worried about if, if we weren't talking, talking about you or to you at all. And, and, and Cliff, I, I agree with you. First of all, playing the dozens is more of an older term. It's a term that from generations prior to us. So this is cultural. It's part of, to me, it's, it's a way of black people dealing with the pain right? It's, you have to find some humor in it. And yes, it could be harsh when it's, you're pointing it out, something out about someone else that's near you or whatever. But the thing is, it always, for most people, ends in a laugh, right? I mean, and, and honestly, to me, part of the bond that we have is about the laughter, all the laughs that we've been able to share over the years. Some of them may have been at some people's expense. Everybody got some, but, but the thing is, it's part of that cultural experience that we shared. Do you remember the worst one you ever got? Now, I try to black that stuff out. <laughs> you know, I think Ron makes a good good point um, that it did help us to bond more because it, it just creates laughter. Um, even we're pointing out something that's obvious. I was just having a conversation with my kids because they were trying to make jokes on me and Donna. I said, look, it's going to be hard pressed to come up with a black joke I've never heard. So bring your A game. And, you know, they don't even want to get into it with yeah, it's, it's it's not even fair, but um, it, it I think that solidified the bond, and while we can jump on on this call right now and still laugh and be happy to see each other because we just remember all the good times we had laughing. Yeah, right. yeah. Well, so Brett in particular, I mean, all y'all had some good ones over the time, but Brett in particular, I remember living one summer with John Newton in Village B. And Brett was always in there for some reason. But Brett, man, Brett has some stories, some crazy, crazy stories that if I could remember them today, I'd probably be on the floor. I mean, so Brett in particular was a funny guy and he knew how to crack up people like to, to the next level kind of thing. So, you know, we kind of went our separate ways uh, in different parts of the country. Some early left D.C. earlier than others. Some stayed a little around a little longer. But one of the things I wanted to know is, you know, how did your you know friendships kind of evolved after you graduated? Uh, did they stay the same? Did you find did you find it a little bit more challenging to maintain or have friendships with, you know, kind of and I wouldn't say just black men, but just other men in general? And if so, what were some of those issues? You know, like with me and you, we stayed we stayed tight. Kirk, we didn't have we didn't have a choice. I well, <laughs> that's another story. <laughs> and then you know, Kirk was here, but Kirk was at a, a high level position, and I think Kirk, with his professionalism, than some of us did. Ron moved to to, to college to, to, to Illinois grad school. Yeah, Cliff was here for a little bit, and then he was gone. Now. 
admittedly, when I see you guys, it feels just like yesterday. Always does. But, mm-hmm. but I'm pretty sure yeah. there are a lot of things that I can, you know, like I say, hey, so so what's been going on? And these news stories would probably be like mind blowing to me. You know, like some of the things that have happened in you guys' life that I just I don't know about, you know. And and and, and in this forum right here, we really couldn't get into it, you know, because it's a short form. And, you know, some of these things, they're probably best said face to face and how you're taking it. You know what I mean? I mean, it's 35 years of experience after that. Wow. Well, so, you know. But, but but hold on, Brett, because you skipped over a lot, actually. So consider this in terms, in terms of my experience. At one point in time, me, Bruce, Dave Barfield, and Kenny Brown all worked for the same company. Yes. Mm-hmm. And at another point in time, me, Brett, and Larry Chapman all worked together. Wow. Exactly. You see Ron shaking his head? <laughs> oh, man. That's common sense right Brett, there. <laughs> Brett. They could they could do a Netflix sitcom Comedy Central, on that yep. period that me, Brett, and Larry were working together. Seriously, I mean, and it would and it would do numbers. Yeah, it was crazy. Yeah, I mean, I, I appreciate good stuff. Yeah, I think I mean I appreciate Ron saying I might have started my professional career earlier, but you know I think everybody was still in D.C. kind of immediately after school, and so there there were parties and, and events where we could still kind of connect with each other. I've got some classic picture of us. I think in Niles' house for like a Christmas party is like me, Keith, Brett, Mike, Ray, Darius, and so that that was a uh, that was fun. And then I started to make friends. I'm trying to think. There were a couple of white people from Georgetown that worked at KPMG with me, so you know I was I was cool with them. But I guess I still had a, a lot of my fraternity brothers and you guys that were still in D.C. for that that point of time. Sure. And then you know as the time went on, things kind of change and morph as you as you get more into your career and you, you're getting married. I think there was like a, a three year period where everybody was getting married. We were going to everybody's weddings, which was another chance to kind of connect with each other. So that was really cool uh, seeing everybody as they get to the next stage in life. But that, well, that's, and that's interesting because women t- seem to tend to maintain their friendships easier than we do when the kids come. And why do why do you think that is? Hmm. I, I never thought of it. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't think that, uh, that there was any difficulty with us maintaining friendships. And then again, you know, that's me. You know, this could be an individual question. I just, we, we've we been boys for all this time and I seriously don't think things have changed. Like Brett said, once we can, can connect, like whenever I traveled, if I knew there was a, a soul hoya in wherever I was gonna be, I'm gonna say, hey, I'm gonna be in town. Like Ron set me out real good when I was in Chicago. Wayne was MIA, but we won't talk about that. <laughs> but uh, and, and, and in that time with Ron, you know, I learned more about him, all the things that I had missed, I guess, over the years that we hadn't seen each other. And it was good where we could talk like as adult men and, and kind of share things. Mm-hmm. And then we also were able to hook up with um, Cyril as well. So, mm-hmm. yep. you know, I, I don't, I don't, yeah, I'm with Brett. I don't know that our friendships struggle. It's just, mm-hmm. I don't know that men are, great communicators overall anyway we well, talk there, when we need to talk th- there's that and th- there's a frequency of it i think the other thing is is that um the vantage point being men our our interactions tend to be more event driven like we might go on a trip together we'll go to a right. destination and that's where we'll see each other in person we'll pick up like it was yesterday you know like nothing was was different in the meantime yeah you might learn new things about people but the, the relationship is there because i was also thinking about this too keith 
because this question came up on the Soul Hoya call right before Thanksgiving. It's like, why do we have this bond? Why do we have this special bond? Not just among us, but among the women too. For me, this was a formative time in life where we got to know each other. But we, you think about it, especially with the men, we, we played sports together. We ate together. We partied together. Some cases we took classes together. Um, in other cases... We live together. And we live together. So the point is, is if you think about it, in many ways, we shared more common experiences than we did with our actual real families. And this was at a formative time. And this allows us to establish a bond that allows, you know, basically allows it to exist for the rest of our lives. Yeah, I think, yeah, yeah that that is a great point because there was, a you know, a lot of stuff that actually went on over those four years. <laughs> and, um, and that especially living together, because I mean, how often do you get to live in a, a space where there's nine? I mean, we're pretty much were nine black men that lived all in the same area uh, on campus. Yeah. So we had four rooms in the corner of a, the end corner of a hallway. Yep. Yeah, four rooms. And then yeah. I think right. And then and then Wayne Wayne finagled his way into a a, a single a, a single studio apartment. <laughs> <laughs> that corner was dangerous, dude. It was that dangerous. Yeah, and then when we had the, the the Friday happy hours with the cocktails, I shall say, uh, and people would come through, that was a good time. It's good time. And that, that that end of the semester party was classic, though. Everybody came through. Everybody came through. Yeah. Oh, so you're you're talking about the all day daiquiri party. All day I, daiquiri party. I didn't say party. that. I just said the end of the end of the oh, semester that's right. party. That's all I said. I mean, there have been photos that have been posted, so that one's a hard one to take back. But um, what do you think are some of the components that make for good friendships? And it's weird to say, did you have any someone that you learned about friendships from and what it meant to be a good friend? Or do you think it just kind of happened over time? Well, I'll tell you, I think I'll, I'll try this one. <laughs> With you guys, everybody's uh, interaction I think we we all listened to each other, even though we may have cracked jokes on each other. We actually really listened to each other and respected each other, and, and respected each other. And and with that, you can definitely develop a, a true friendship. Now, I will. The only regret that I have with all of this is that now hindsight being twenty twenty, I see all of you guys and everybody. Oh man, look, I'm thinking about this. All of you guys are just like successful, smart. And we could have done it, <laughs> you know, if we just had maybe even listened harder to each other and, and tried to go into business together. I'm ever telling my son now, man, when you have some boys like this to stay together and, and try to work together and you will never work a day in your life. I, I, I'm sorry. Is anybody here dead? Nobody's here. Nobody's dead here yet. Right. I mean, we still got time, you know, if we want. <laughs> You're right. And it'd be awesome. I think, I think that's something. It would that be a good idea. Yeah, I mean, look, there's there's a lot of talent amongst us, and I think um, despite everybody being from different backgrounds, somewhat, and from different areas of the country, what's important for me is like authenticity and, and transparency. And I, I think I think I know you guys. Like, you don't you don't have some false pretense that you put forward to other people that you're not really. I think we know each other down to the bone, to the to the bare bones. And that's important. And I think uh, trust, like whenever we we did share something that may be a little bit more personal, I know I always felt comfortable that I didn't have to worry about it being all over anywhere. 
So to me, you know, from 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 somebody who I'm gonna rock with, those are the two things that's important. And it's it's uh, yeah, that stays consistent. You know, even now with the with the new fr new new friends I have that are that are not from Georgetown. You know, I think the bottom line is. Yeah, we, we we were together at a time, like you said, Ron, when they, they were they, they were formative years. Um, you know, we were we were kind of, you know, put into this situation, uh, you know, like any kid going off to college. There's sort of this now you got to fend for yourself kind of, you know, dynamic going on. And the people that you, you know, connect with at that at that time, you know, I just think you're going to you're going to have a certain kind of relationship that, that forms from there. It, it's know? family. It's family. And that, and that word has been used. I mean, and I, I like what you said. So Kirk and uh, Cliff kind of said the same thing, just a little bit the opposite end of the mm -hmm. spectrum in terms of expression. But it really is. You know, I've thought about that. You know, you see somebody up there with a professional picture and they're presenting themselves their way. It's like, I know you. It's like, I know. <laughs> right. And it's like, but that's but that's family. Right. Because we, we do know each other. Um, what we're really like, you know. And that's that's that that to me represents home, right? Because you can go back, like you said, Kirk, and this is a place where you can feel like you can be trusted and you can trust, and you don't have to worry about a lot of nonsense, you know, because there's so much of it in this world. And this is one place that's kind of a safe harbor. So, Gray, I want to kind of segue then. It's just a question. It may be more of an observation or just your opinion. But do you think generations now have the same, they have the kind of the same bond um, as we as we did? Or is it kind of different? I think it's a little different, but but their bonds. I mean, they're a little bit more advanced. They have they have in their hand access to everything that we didn't have access to. Okay, they they have they can date, <laughs> they can they can pick up information at a, at just like that. Man, could you imagine if we had half of that stuff in in, in our in our college? It would be it would have been crazy. We even I think we may have all been in trouble. You know, but <laughs> yeah. but I, I look at my son now and some of his relationships, and I think that brings me back to the sports stuff. His boys, he played sports with, he hangs out with, they talk smack to each other. It's funny, and they're close. Now, with respect to you know uh, this this new this new age of the telephone and everything, I get a little. Maybe I'm the one who's who's out of sorts here because I don't understand how they can communicate with no emotion. Because I, I know I don't know about you guys. Even with emails that I get to this day, I read them and I'm like, man, that that that's got some tone to it. What? Let me call. You up. <laughs> that's right. Absolutely. And then, you know, when you call somebody up, you it's it's shocking to them also. You know, so I, I, it's a little different. But I think that a lot of it's the same. A lot of it. Yeah, yeah. I, I've seen it. I, I used to worry about my both of my kids, really, because maybe it's the same for y'all. When we grew up, you either had to call somebody, you know, dial their phone number or go around the corner and knock on their door and say, you know, is Cliff home? Is Ron home? And we go out and play. When I would kind of uh, press my kids, hey, go see if so-and-so's home, go knock on the door. They were like terrified. Like, wow, I don't want to do that. And so... I think that the social communication makes it safe for them, but they don't get the personal interaction. Although now I'm seeing, you know, Simone's in college and she's been able to to make friends and bond over whatever they're doing at college. And then Donovan kind of like like Brett's son with sports, he's got his boys. So they they 
they communicate over their Xbox and on cell phones about sports and they, they're starting to make jokes about each other and stuff like that. So it's, it's not the same, I think, as how we grew up, but it's working for them, I guess. I guess one of the um, things I'd love to talk about is um, just how you guys are feeling as, as black men. This pandemic has really uh, done a lot to, and I wouldn't say put black men at the forefront. It just puts, you know, just black people at the forefront. Uh, there's been a lot of, um, not only are we dealing with, the, you know, illness, but we're also dealing with, um, you know, the police violence, even though it's been around for a long time. So, um, you know, as things that we kind of close out the year, what are some of the, uh, what's on your mind right now? I, honestly, yeah, I was going to say first priority is making it through the winter alive, you know, with all this COVID nonsense. I mean, listen, the, 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 the police, we all know this, the, the stuff with the police that has become visible because of cameras and, and such, and it's on TV now, but we all know this existed before we've all experienced it probably, you know, um, in one shape, form or another. Right. So, I mean, that's not really new. It's just being televised. I, I think the, 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 what's new is this thing of, okay, so you have your normal, natural sort of concerns and fears when you leave your house. And now you've got this other thing about getting infected with this potentially deadly disease. And that, well, I'll say it like this. As hard as 2020 has been, for me, I'm I'm still the eternal optimist. I, I mean, I always believe that there's a better day ahead. You have to. And and we'll we'll get there. We're going to have to go through some more things, but we'll get there. So I, I don't worry about it as much. I just try to be careful in the meantime. Yeah, I I, um, I agree with Ron. Ron, I try to be optimistic, and I, and I recognize the station I sit in. I'm blessed, you know, so I don't I don't complain about the few things I wish I had that I don't have, or because I have everything I need, right? But um, I think sometime in the summer after the George Floyd and everything, particularly with with Donovan, my son, I I, I actually apologized to him that he has to be exposed to this level of racism and, and this level of unrest at such a young age. Um, Cause you know, we, we work hard and we try to provide a, a great, great environment for our kids. But you know, we all know as, as African-Americans, your station in life doesn't matter. You're still black in America. Yeah. And so what I am excited about is his awareness of the society we live in. And I just try to tell him, you know, look, don't, don't ever fall asleep. Don't mistake that we're in America. But I also tell them, and I told them this a long time ago, you're exceptional. You know, when you get around larger population, you'll realize that most people are very average, very mediocre. And if you just put a little bit of work in, you can excel and you can be beyond it. And so Simone comes home from college. She's rocking all A's. She's like, yeah, daddy, I don't understand why some kids don't understand this. And, and even Donovan's now starting to see that too. So I think we just have to make sure that our kids know that they're capable, that they have like a network of people. When I look at my son and his friends, I'm like, don't do like, like what I did. Stay in touch with these people so that you can pick up the phone and say, hey man, I'm looking for this position or I need to fill this position or I'm thinking about making this investment. You want to jump in with me. What I've been trying to teach my kids is that, you know, um, when you meet people and if you intern for them or you do a little, make sure you stay in touch with them. You know, you have the social media, you have the platform to to inform them all the stuff that you're doing. And you can, you know, people do it all the time. And that's the one thing we do have to remind that our kids that to make sure you just tell your story. 
I think, uh, Keith, it's interesting that this question kind of segued into our kids because that's what I thought about when you asked the question, just, you know, thinking of this year as a backdrop and everything that is, you know, that is, that has gone on this year. You know, I always say that you don't really understand what it's like to be black in America till you have to raise black kids in America. You know, that that's what really brings it home for you because you have to be you know, real sensitive to the things that, um, you know, that you have to, that, that, that you have to deal with it as a, as a minority, because you have to teach your kids how to navigate it. You, you know, you want the best for your kids. You want, you want your kids to grow up in a, uh, you know, in a world where, 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 where everything that they work for and everything that they, that they deserve is, is, uh, is, a, is available to them. Right. And, you know, you want this world to be, you know this this world to be fair enough uh, to live up to that and and to to live that to live to deliver that for for our kids and um, you know as a minority in this country we know that that's not the the case a lot of times and that's why we've always you know our parents trained us up at you know as with with the mindset of you got to kind of do a little more, uh, you know, make sure that you're not making the type of mistakes or making the kind of decisions that can just completely take you out of the game because, you know, it, reentry is, is going to be harder for you um, simply because people are going to judge you by the, by the color, you know, uh, of your skin. And so me and all of us, I'm sure, and our, and our spouses are always thinking, how, what should I be teaching my kids? So that they can navigate this and how do I, you know, how do we make sure that, that they know that they're worthy, that they know that they are empowered, so that they know that they are exceptional, you know, like you said, Kirk, and don't let anybody else have you believe in otherwise because of some of the things that, that will happen. <laughs> yeah. On this, guys, I, I'll be honest, it's, it's a terrifying time. Not so much my son, because I think he's a, sometimes he, may be oblivious to it because, you know, I'm always telling them, I'm like, hey, look, man, when you go out here, do this, do that. If you do that, if something like this happens, do this. If something like this happens, do this. It's it's not something that I, that I ever get tired of. It's one of those things where I'm like, I'm just trying to impress upon him. We're in a climate now where you have to be extremely careful. You, you, you have a, you, you come from an environment where you may have a little bit more than somebody. You're black, you're 6'2", you're good looking, and People want a piece and then people want to bring you down and you got to be careful out here, you know, and, and, you know, like I sound, I know I sound a little pessimistic right now, but my pessimism is to make sure that he understands so he can adapt properly because guys, even though Biden won this thing and he, and he got 80 million votes, Trump got 76 or was it 73 million? I mean, like guys, we're, we're in a climate where, you know, the way we think is just not how somebody else is thinking right now. It is dangerous out here. And you're not being pessimistic, right? I mean, that's that's realistic, and you're being protective, right? I mean, you're 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 being a good father and looking out for your kids, and then trying to instill survival skills is really what that's about. But you know, I, I want to say this. You know, Keith, you talk about the the friendship experience, and this is this is part of that. It's like w this is something that we can talk about amongst each other that we really can't talk about with other people, right? And, and from the same perspective, from the same lens that are similar enough lens, right? That And that's important, that's really necessary. And that's part of like having that safe harbor of 
where you can go and 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 really be able to work this stuff through. And hey, am I doing the right thing? Am I thinking about the right thing? It's like, well, yeah, I told my kid that too. Should we be able to talk about with other people? Should we be able to be uh, open and honest with friends that are, uh, I guess, of a different race? When they, when, you know, because they, you know, they've asked us the, these questions. Sure. I know but it's different. Ask. It's different. Yes, but it's different. What we're talking about here are survival skills. Mm -hmm. They don't we don't necessarily need to educate them on that, except to say that we have to do these kind of extra things just to exist in this country. Right. The, the educating them on that. But we're trying to figure out like the right taxes. Anyway, I'm sorry, Brett, you were going to say something. Well, I, I it's it's exactly what I was getting ready to say. <laughs> mm -hmm. You know, it, I mean, like, sure, you can have the conversation. With some of the people that you're going to be involved with, uh, they'll 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 really try to understand. That's right. Some people are still going to have their viewpoints, and they're like, "Well, I'm 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 still trying to like still trying to understand." Even though you said, "Hey, look, man, I just explained this to you the best way I could." You, the reason you're not getting it is because you're not living it, you know. And and you and you may not believe that. Oh my God, you have to actually do all that. Uh, yes, I do have to do all that. Ron, you your kids are younger. How how has it affected them, and what are some of the things that you've had to tell them? Oh man, you know it, it's so much that I want to talk to them about, but they're at an age where they don't quite understand it. I mean, I remember the other day I was making them dinner, and uh, I have three girls. Those who don't know, three triplet nine year olds, and I was making dinner for them the other day, and somehow something came up. It was about Martin Luther King or something. Or maybe it was about the slave. I can't remember exactly what it was. But then, and then I was telling them as I had a drink and was making dinner. It's like history is full of lies, right? And then all of a sudden they're like, "Yeah, I got to change my socks." It's like you know, it's like they couldn't connect with the conversation where I was going with it, right? Because they're not ready for it. So I struggle with how to talk to them. They're also multiracial, but I make clear I am talking to them very regularly about, hey, part of your heritage is is that you are black. And in this country, also, I tell them about the one drop rule and all that other stuff, but I also make it clear to them. It's like your heritage is that of black people. Your, your great, great grandfathers on your father's side were both born slaves and you need to know that. And, and so as you look and you learn about slavery, not just from me, but from other experiences, you need to have that in your perspective, that this is part of who you are, not that you were enslaved or that, right. That this is part of our history in this country. And how we should be treated is very different from how we are treated. And what do we, and then the question becomes, what do we do about that? And you're part of that discussion. Yeah, that's, and, and it changes over time. And I know you'll, you will cherish the day as they get older and you get to share real, real stories. About... Hey, 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 Kirk, I want, I want to know your experience with this, like with Donovan's boys, because I know with Morgan's boys, they don't put up with this racial stuff, dude. This is the first year Donovan has even really been exposed to white people. So his elementary school, middle school, all black. And we all kind of live in the same community. And I used to joke that any one of his friends, including him, could go to anybody else's house and they would think they're in the same house. It's all mm -hmm. cookie cutter the same. They all vacation the same way. They all got Xbox. Now he's at a more diverse school where Simone went. Mm -hmm. And um, but with COVID, he hasn't really got to experience you know, what, what a freshman would experience in a big, big high school. He hasn't really had to deal with racism or put up with it other than what we see on TV. And, and then I'm training him. But if, if I were to back up for a second over Thanksgiving, we, we um, uh, went to a, a 
a, a, a home in Delaware. We went with another family and did Thanksgiving up there. On the way back, I might have been going a little bit over the speed limit and got pulled over. You know, it's, it's Thanksgiving weekend. I turn, I see the cop, cars packed to the brim. I turn down the radio. I'm sitting, I'm waiting. He comes on the passenger side, license and registration. Show officer, it's in the glove box. You mind? He's like, fine. You know, he goes, he comes back. We're sitting there. Everybody's cool. We're not really worried. It's Delaware. I was 10 miles over the speed limit. It wasn't anything like that. He comes back. He says, um, hey, you know, you were the speed limits, whatever, 25. You were doing 40. You need to slow down. I was like, yeah, I didn't realize where I was. He said, well, you got your kids in the car, so just slow down. We'll give you a warning and take it easy. And so it was that easy. So, you know, every interaction with the cops doesn't have to be bad if you know how to interact with the cops. Right. So he got a firsthand experience of what happens when you get pulled over as a black. Now, you know, I'm a I'm a I'm a big black black man, but I had my family in the car. Right. I'm polite. I'm deferential. <laughs> and that was that was what my struggle was, was I want you to be proud and strong. But in certain situations, you got to be deferential and meek because right. I need you to come home. Right. All right. So that that's that's I think the, the toughest thing when you're talking to your son, because I right. uh, no no disrespect to any of the ladies or anything, but I want my son to be a strong, capable man, but I also want him to come home alive. And he's you know, he's getting tall. And so, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's just part of what's going to happen out there. But he hasn't he hasn't really had that experience right yet. But I think if schools ever open up when COVID's over, then he'll He'll be exposed to that. I mean, even where we live, right around the corner, somebody has a big Trump sign flying in the yard. You know, which is which is really like a a, a middle finger in the neighborhood I live in, because the neighborhood is ninety percent black. Yeah, um, that's and so. that's a tough thing to do. I remember that happened to uh, my my son. He was at a park with some friends, and like the town over, and and they rolled up in the park, and they had to they got nervous and they got scared. And I had to tell him, I was like, look, one, you have to be at all times, remember where you are and where you're going to be. You can't just be rolling in somewhere, especially if you don't live in the town. Right. And, and then you have to um, make Keep sure you're, you don't do anything uh, quick uh, and do what the officer tells you to do. And so, right. it, and, and like I said, it's, it's a constant trying to, uh, to balance our, in that. Yeah, balance, yeah, let our children know that um that yes, be strong but be smart and you and rely on us. You have your parents to rely on. And so But you know the thing about that is as you're talking to both you and Kurt, you talk about this, and here we are, it's 2020, we're in a new millennium, all this other stuff. And I mean, how different are these pieces of coaching, advice, whatever you want to call it, parenting than what we had when we were growing up. I mean, I remember, you know, my my mother, my grandfather, you know, in particular telling me, it's like, you got to be careful about where you are and when you're there and who's who's there. You know, you go to a party, you got to, you know, know who's there, make sure you cover your drink, you know, all that kind of stuff, right? I mean, but, but I think just in terms of, um, you know, racism and stuff, it, it there is that perspective of just always think about where, you, where you're going to be and, and be careful, right? Because of, and they wouldn't really say, but 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 ultimately, to me, it's the same piece of advice. You know how far back that goes? I was reading, I didn't finish the book, yeah. but you guys ever hear of um, The Warmth of Other Sun? Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, it really talks about the migration of Blacks 
mm-hmm. from the south, run basically running away from Jim Crow laws up to the north. Yeah. And uh, in one chapter in that book, they they're they're talking about um, you know so this was probably back in like the twenties or whatever, and uh, you know you'd have uh, you know some little town in the south, black folks living outside of town, but they would have to come into town for mm-hmm. you know supplies and stuff like that. And um, you know this was during a time when uh, you know they might send um, you know their their uh, young young adult or maybe teenage kids in the town. Um, and they can just go into town and just uh, just either look at a, a white person the wrong mm-hmm. way mm-hmm. or just say mm-hmm. something in a mm-hmm. way that just doesn't come out as deferential. Like you said, Kirk, they get strung up for that. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, so they talked about how the black parents would would have that. You know, when I, I'm reading this and I'm like, this is like the discussion that we're having with our kids today as it relates to getting pulled over from the police. You know, you make sure that you're. Uh, you know, that you're polite and you mm-hmm. watch the way you talk to people mm-hmm. and, you know, you watch the way you look at people because, mm-hmm. you know, at that time it could, it could, it could be the, be the difference between life and death. Jim Crow laws, man. Y'all were trying to preach tonight, but you know, so I have to, all deacon, <laughs> all y'all get the deacon badge tonight, but, um, but I do want to kind of end on a happy, a little more happy note. So I want each of you to, if you can remember what your fondest that. memory at Georgetown, um, what is it? First of all, I mean, look that, that that whole year when we lived in Village C oh, was, was, was amazing. I mean, yeah. just the, yeah, the we, laughs, oh, oh my the God. parties, the events. I mean, I think like Ron said, I think that's where the bond of friendship got stronger. Star search. <laughs> Star uh, so I think there was only, how many of us were in Star Search? I think I was, was in only, Star Search. I don't I don't think I was in it. You were in Star Search, Brett? I, yeah, I was. I was. Brett was in Star. Yeah, that that one Star Search. There were a couple of them. <laughs> there was a Star Search. I want to say Ron, we might have been freshmen. For some reason so, I just remember the one, the first one I went to which was our freshman year. It was really good. But the one that y'all are ta- I know the one specifically that y'all are talking about. Was was wasn't that the one where uh, Chuck did his stand up routine? No, that that was that was that was that was pretty funny. That I mean, that's very memorable. And we I think were it was the one the before balcony. that. We were up in the balcony just going hard. We were just like yeah, Chuck. We were Chuck, we were heckling Chuck to death. Chuck was not happy. I think. Yeah, because we, we went hard. We were going I think hard. That, yeah, that almost did. Night, that almost did end in a fight. I think yeah, almost. I, I think it did. Really. It was all love. I'm trying to tell people it was all love. It's always love till you, till you touch a nerve. I will say that the the surprise party that I, I guess it was Kenny. You know, Kenny was the, the 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 party coordinator. I'm trying to remember what year is that? What year that was? And it was over in um, really? Neville. Oh, it was a, it, yeah surprise party. I, and, I mean, Gubs, Gubs had to Gubs had to come shut it down at like three in the morning. One of the parties that we clearly y'all don't remember that. Yeah, that must have been a weekend I was away. I had a baseball game, so I definitely don't remember that. But, you know, I don't know if you can pin it down to, I mean, there were so many good moments. I mean, there's a lot to reminisce about. I mean, a lot, even, even the silliness of just going to New South Cafeteria Um, and and not even just sitting with y'all, but, and, and, you know, having the yucks and everything, but also, I mean, just, you know, Rose, y'all remember Rose handing out the hamburgers at, uh, and just how crazy an experience that was. Um, 
riding the G2 over to Howard. I mean, I mean, there was just, you know, taking trips up to AU to go parties there. I mean, there was just so much. There was so much. Yeah, some, some of those um, alcohol-infused Black House parties. Oh. <laughs> oh. Was there any other kind of Black House parties? <laughs> this is true, right? <laughs> the well, bench, I, yeah, Healy, wanna... the Black Bench and Healy Circle. I knew oh, yeah. I'd, be a, I'd be a lot, but yeah. I didn't know if there was any one particular uh, memory that may be uh, etched in your brain. All right, so I'll, I'll give you one. So the etched in my brain forever. Again, going back how we started the call, that game we played that three uh, game tournament against the seniors that year, and my man Cliff over here, you know, it, it's <laughs> game point. It's actually tournament point, right? Cliff goes to the top you, of the you're key. You're really going to do this to Rob. Yes, I am. I'm going to do it to Rob. And Rob, another one of our boys, uh, he's up there. He jumps to, like, guard and, and try to, you know, you know, deflect uh, Cliff's shot. Cliff is at the top of the key, jumps, shoots, and says, beer. At the end of the game, end. He hit the, nothing but the bottom of the net, tournament over, and those guys owed us a case of beer. So I'll never forget that. Man, that was fun. Ron said something that was really profound. We aren't just friends, we're family. We've laughed, we've cried, we battled together, and we've grown up together. One thing that I look forward to doing after this pandemic is over is seeing my soul Hoyer brothers again. But until then, we'll always have Zoom. Black Men Speak was written and produced by me, Keith Dent, and edited by Grace Chung. Check out our previous episodes wherever you get your favorite podcasts. As you always know, we end with a quote. And since basketball was such a focal point of our lives as friends, my quote comes from LeBron James. To being trustworthy, to being successful. How committed are you to being a good father, a good teammate, a good role model? There's that moment every morning when you look in the mirror, are you committed or are you not? This is Keith Dent from Black Men Speak. Have a great day.